So we are in this uh, sermon series for this uh, season, for the spring, uh, and into early summer for us that we're calling The Great Exchange, where we are looking at um, how uh, the good news of Jesus is this great exchange um, of, the, of the hopeless and, and, and fearful and guilty position that we are in apart from Christ and how he has taken that and he's exchanged our our place, and we get his place. And, uh, and so we've, we've talked about uh, a number of things already in this series. Last week, uh, we talked about how in the fall, in, in our sinfulness, as sin entered the world, we, um, we, we moved from a, a relationship of transparency and vulnerability with God into a, a relationship and into an experience that's marked by shame and um, and so, and, and how in Christ that, that that shame has been dealt with, and he, he took our shame. He took all of our shame, and, and we then uh, get his acceptance, the acceptance of the only son that he deserved, and, and we get to share in that. This morning we're talking about uh, fear and, and the exchange, the great exchange of security uh, for fear. I've, I've kind of struggled throughout um, the week as I've been thinking about fear. Um, did a lot of reading on different pieces because it's it's complicated. Fear is fear is a complicated emotion. There's some there's some healthy and good fear, right? Fear of tigers. I'm afraid of tiger. I will. I you know I. That's healthy. I, that'll keep you alive, right? Um, it's a that's a it's a good fear, and, and, we, and then we know that you know the. Psychologists today have, have identified all kinds of phobias, right? You can have a you can have a diagnosed phobia of anything, right? Arachnophobia, it's the fear of spiders. I think it was a movie, right? That's why that one's famous, and because many of you in this room are <laughs> have this irrational fear of spiders, and. But again, you you can diagnose a phobia for anything, right? Fear of dentists, fear of um, I don't know, taxes, fear of timber wolves chasing you across the living room. I don't know. Like, you can get a phobia of anything. And th- but that's not quite the fear that we're talking about, this kind of, these irrational kind of fears that are, are, are strong emotional reactions. We are talking more about the, uh, the kind of fear that... that um, that is a barrier in relationship with God. So in the, the, the great first exchange, this exchange where we, you know, we were created, humanity was created perfect and in perfect relationship with God and in total and perfect harmony with God. And, and we call that the, the, the entrance of sin into the world, we call it the fall, where, where we were in this exalted position of, of right relationship with God. And as we became our own masters and our own Lord, and as we rebelled against God, as we fired the first shot against Him, you know, we, we fell into this, this horrible condition of alienation from God. And it says in Genesis 3, as God came to walk with Adam like he did every day in the cool of the day, to fellowship and be friends with Adam and to, to, to be acquainted with him, it says that Adam hid. And he says, you know, I, I heard the sound of you. God, I heard God in the garden, Adam says. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. This, 
our fall was marked not just by shame, like we talked about last week, how Adam was ashamed of his nakedness, but, but, but now he's, he's afraid as well. That the day before, Adam would have delighted to walk with God. It would have been the highlight of his day to, to spend time and speak to God face to face as a person can speak with their friend. And yet now that encounter is a source of, is a threat. Now that encounter with God is fear-inducing in him. And so with sin, fear has entered into the human experience. Never before had humanity experienced fear, and yet now we experience threats. Threats to our well-being, threats to our success, threats to our health, threats to our identity. It's these threats that cause us fear. In fact, walking with God, as sinful people, walking with God is now a source of fear. We're afraid that if we would walk with God, we're afraid that if we would obey God, if we would walk with him, we'll be miserable and bored. So we tend to... We tend to think, though, of fear as a relatively neutral thing, right? That, you know, some people are born courageous and brave, um, and others are not. And, you know, I, you know you're ju- it's just the way you are. You're courageous and brave. Um, that's, you know, and I can't help it that I'm a chicken, right? That's, what, that's how we kind of, that's how we feel and often think about fear. But it's important for us to realize that God actually commands courage, that courage, bravery, the freedom from fear is actually something that is not just a suggestion by God. It's not just like, a, hey, if it's a, that might be a good idea. It, bravery is actually, courage is actually commanded by God. One of the most repeated commands of God is fear not. Don't be afraid. That if you walk with him, that if you're in Christ, his command for you is, don't be afraid. It's actually, it stands out in Revelation chapter 1. And, you know, Rev, the Revelation is this last book of the Bible. It's a, what we call apocalyptic literature. And so there's all this um, imagery and as, of, of how things are going to wrap up, how, how time will wrap up. And, and as Christ returns, he'll usher in his kingdom. And he's going to uh, be, judge the living and the dead. He's going to, you know, there's going to be the great resurrection. And there's going to be the great white throne judgment. And as um, God is, as Jesus is, is um, judging, and, you know, and some of the pictures are, you know, you're on your left and on the right. Some, the, the evil, those who are separate from God, get thrown in Revelation 21 into this lake of fire. And, and, and it describes, Revelation 21 describes the types of people that are um, going to be cast into this lake of fire. And, and you know, it's, it's not all that surprising, right? It's those people who have lived their lives as an affront to God, who've been rebelling against him, those who are practicing witchcraft and, and, and those who are immoral, sexually immoral, or those who are uh, the liars and the thieves. And, and, and so we're like, yeah, okay. That, that makes sense. They've, they've lived their lives in opposition to God, and so God's judged them, and he's, he's, um, he's judging them for the, the way in which they live. But then it says, he, he not only throws those who practice witchcraft and those who are sexually immoral and those who um, are thieves and liars, he says, and the cowards. 
cow. I can't help it that I'm a chicken. Why the cowards are lumped in together with those who practice witchcraft, those who are just in settled opposition against God. Isaiah chapter 51, God says, Who are you that you fear mortal men? Why would you fear other people? He says to Israel, his chosen people, whom he calls the apple of his eye, that the the people whom this great God, this sovereign Lord, this majestic king, the people that this king has said, you are the apple of my eye. You're my people. I will lead you. I'll protect you. I will be with you. Why would you be afraid of people? God says. I want to root some of our con- conversation this morning or in, um, in Numbers, in the passage out of the book of Numbers. Don't often preach out of Numbers, I'll be honest. Don't think I ever have. Um, if you've read the book, you probably know why. Um, but if you turn to Numbers chapter 13, and I read this account of, of the people of Israel. And so God's chosen people are uh, Israel. And Israel, as you know, as you may know, um, in the early part of their history, as they're formed as a nation, they grow into a great nation in the nation of, of Egypt. They grow into this great people group in Egypt, and they, become, they grow into such a strong and um, populous group that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, uh, is threatened by them. And so he um, enforces slavery upon them. He enforces hard labor on them. He enforces um, this great oppression on God's people, Israel. And so, um, as you know, in the, the story of the Exodus, maybe, that, that how God raised up Moses and he led his people through these plagues and, 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 and finally Pharaoh says, finally you can go. And, he, and, and God miraculously delivers them out of oppression in Egypt. He delivers them out of slavery and out of bondage. And he brings them through the Red Sea, right? The, the waters part and they walk through in the middle and then the waters collapse on on Pharaoh's army. And so God has delivered his people in this mighty way. And he leads them. He's leading them to the promised land, to Canaan, across the desert. And he, and he meets with them on Mount Sinai and he gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them his law and he says, you are my people. He makes his covenant with them again. He says, you're my people. Walk in my ways. Follow me. I'm with you. And he's leading them right with this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire. And and so God's miraculously delivered them. He's miraculously provided for them. And he provides manna from heaven so that they can eat in the desert. All these ways in which God has shown over and over and again that he is with them. He's for them. And he loves them. And he's going to care for them. And they don't need to be afraid. And so as they come to, up to the, to the borders of Canaan, um, Moses um, appoints 12 tribes, right? 12 spies. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and he appoints 12 spies to go into the land of Canaan. You know that 10 were bad and 2 were good, right? And, and so th- this is the account of what happens when those spies, those 10 bad spies and the 2 good spies come back, and they are bringing their report of the land. So that's Numbers 13. I'm going to begin reading at verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh 
in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. This massive amounts of fruit. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread out among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That's a great line, right? We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Notice this verse. This is an important verse. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is God, gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. That's Joshua and Caleb. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people. And that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face. That your cloud stays over them. And that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. 
Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. This is the word of God. First thing I want to touch on is why are we afraid? Can we get underneath our fears and answer the question why? Why are our lives marked by fear? And I think the answer is found in understanding that our fears surround the things that give us a sense of security and well-being. Those things that, other than God, that give us a sense of security, of safety, of, of, of purpose, of well-being. That our fears are attached to those things from which we get our security. And so we, we hold on to those things like life rafts and say like, all right, as long as I've got this, then I'm okay. As long as I won't sink as long as I have this thing. And so what are the kinds of things that we're afraid of? The fear of, fear of death, right, is a, is a big one. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. And underneath all of those things that we're afraid of is really this fear that that thing that gives us a sense of security, that life raft we have, that, that, that if we lose that thing, we'll sink and we won't be okay. And so if money makes you feel secure, your fears will surround money. And, and questions like, will I have enough money will, 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 will captivate you? Will I lose this? Will I... Am I, do I have enough? If you're a parent, it could be that your security is found in, hey, my children are doing okay. And so your fears then will surround your kids and, and the well-being of your kids. Maybe your career is, is that, um, and being successful in your career is, is that thing that gives you a sense of security and well-being and purpose and meaning. And so your fears will surround that. Maybe your reputation. And so you fear the fear opening up and, and being real and honest and transparent with other people because you, you'll, you might be rejected. Your reputation will take a hit. You see, we, we, ha- we all have these things that because we believe at a very deep level that if we really trusted in God, if we found our ultimate security in a relationship with, with God our Father, that He would actually let us down. That we believe that at a deep level that God's not wise enough. He's not caring enough. He's not strong enough. He won't actually come through for me. That if we really got close to God, we wouldn't be safe. And so we trust these things. We love these things. We worship these things. These things become 
what the scriptures would call idols in our lives. And growing as a Christian, growing as a follower of Jesus, is really a matter of finding those things, those things which give us that sense of well-being and security, those things which we love as ultimate things, those things we're clinging to as life rafts. Finding those things and then getting rid of them. You say, well, how do I know what my idols are? And I think, I think the answer is in if you follow your fears, your fears will lead you to your idols. Your fears will lead you to those things that you're trusting in more than God. If you follow your fears, if you follow the path that your fears take you on and contemplate your fears, they will lead you to those sources of security that you find, that you're holding on to, those life rafts that you have. You see, and it's all because we believe the lie. We believe the original lie of, of the enemy, of, of, of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Who, that, that original lie is like, God doesn't really want you to be happy. Serpent comes to, uh, to Eve and says, can you eat of every tree in the garden? Twisting God's word. and You can't eat of every tree? God didn't really mean that. God knows that if you ate of this tree, you'd be actually become like him. He's, he's holding out on you. You'd become like a god if you ate of this tree. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to, to have ultimate meaning and fulfillment and security and purpose. He's holding out on you. And so we believe the lie. It's like a, imagine a father and a son walking through you know, one of these great toy stores. Not like your run-of-the-mill Toys R Us, but like, you know, you, you know these massive toy stores in these great urban centers, right? Where they have these unique and beautiful and, uh, like, unbelievable toys. And you imagine just this, you know, eight-year-old boy walking through, just like, <gasps> sense of awe and wonder. And a father saying, well, I want you to know you're going to have none of that. That's the, that's the, that's the picture we have of God. That if I actually followed him, I'd have none of those great and amazing things. That, that I would actually not have a sense of well-being. I'll be miserable and I'll be bored if I follow him. That I can't actually follow my heart's desires. That, that, that he's out to squelch my joy. He's out to, to, to quench my, my fulfillment. We believe the lie. And so we need, though, this sense of security and permanence. And, and, and we need this sense of um, well-being, and so we, we just grab onto anything else. Because now we're, we're, we're alienated from God, and He is no longer our, our source of security and, and safety and well-being. And so we need to grab onto something. We believe the serpent's lie, and therefore we cling to these other things. The Israelites here in Numbers 13, 14 said, if we, disobey, if we obey God, we're going to be destroyed. If we obey God, our safety will be in peril. We'll be destroyed. He brought us out here to kill us. He doesn't want us to enter into the promised land. He doesn't want us to... He's, he's just like... He's tempting us. He's, he's like showing us this land flowing with milk and honey. But he doesn't want to bring us to go in there. He won't let us inhabit it. He doesn't want us to, to be in this place of safety and security. No, if... If we obey God and go in, he's going to destroy us. But did you catch what Caleb said? 
was Numbers 14, uh, verse 19. I think. No, it was 13, verse... I, I lost it now. But where, where Caleb said to the people, don't rebel against God. Don't rebel and don't be afraid. The same thing. It's a, it's this, it, um, it's a Hebrew way of speaking where you say the same thing in two different ways. Don't rebel against God. Don't be afraid. In, in other words, being afraid to go and enter the land is the same thing as a rebellion against God. To be afraid and to, to act on your fears is to rebel against God. And God says then, you've treated me with contempt. How long will those people treat me with contempt? And then 23, verse 23, he says, you know, no, none of these people who saw my great wonders, who saw the miraculous ways in which I provided, way I've led this people so far, and yet they still treated me with contempt by being afraid, by refusing to enter into the land. They, he says, they're not going in. They're not going in. I'll forgive the nation, but those people aren't going in. Because they've forgotten who I am. They've forgotten who I am. They've forgotten what I'm like. That, that I'm not only a God who's great. I'm, this, I'm not only this majestic king. I'm not only the Lord of heaven and earth. I'm also gracious and compassionate. I'm slow to anger and I treat you like a compassionate child. You've forgotten who I am. And so when you're afraid, you're giving more weight to, those, to these things than you are to God. If you're afraid that you won't have money or if you're afraid that your looks will disintegrate as you age or you're afraid that you won't have someone on your arm you're really saying god can't handle this he'll get my life wrong god's gonna get it wrong when we're controlled by fear we lose touch with the reality of god we we lose sight of his glory and we 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 no longer adore him jesus says in matthew 6 why are you anxious about your life the things of this life, that what you'll wear and what you'll eat. He says, look at the birds of the air. I feed them. Look at the flowers of the field. I clothe them. How much more then will I clothe you and feed you and provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? But what I, I want us to see is that our fears, what is underneath our fears is this unhealthy um, finding security in these other things. And our fears will actually lead us to the idols of our, of our lives. I remember, and often we, I think we, we notice these things in times of transition in our lives, right? That our fears become more evident as we're facing a big transition. I was thinking this week back to when uh, we were making the decision about the call to being a pastor and leaving another career and that's something that I really enjoyed and, and, and coming into the role in which I'm in now. And, and Sherry and I both had, had kind of were fearful about it. And even people who were counseling us had different fears. But it's interesting that all those fears were different. And I think it's because those different places in which we find security. And so, you know, Sherry was really fearful. But what does this mean for our kids? And, you know, how does that transition in the community affect our kids? I didn't care about our kids. I, I, was, I was more afraid of like, what, man, I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to, like, f- more fear of failure. And like, you know, and, and, and others had other fears for us. But 
the whole point is that our, our fears, if we follow our fears back, it's actually will illumine for us those, those life rafts, those unhealthy life rafts that actually aren't, aren't stable sources of security for us. Those things in which we're trying to find our, our identity and our well-being and our purpose and our security apart from God. So the Israelites treated God with contempt. They treated him as small. But they also forgot the wonder of their deliverance, right? They, they, they forgot that God was great, that he was mighty, that, he could over, that these, these giants of the land are nothing in his sight. And they had de- forgotten that they had been delivered already out of oppression, the oppression of a superpower. The, when all the world's first superpowers is, is the nation of Egypt. He says, they, you know, you saw what I did in Egypt, God says. You saw how I led you out. You saw how I saved you. You saw, you've seen how I've provided for you, how I've been gracious to you, how I've already even forgiven you many times already. You've seen the manna from heaven. You've seen me face to face interacting with you. You've seen the Red Sea part. You've seen the angel of death pass over your homes in Egypt. You've been saved and you've forgotten the miracle of me getting you out, of leading you out. Why would you be scared of going into the promised land if you would remember the miracle of the exodus, of you coming out? Romans chapter 8 reminds me of Romans chapter 8. That verse is on the, the screen here. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You think God's going to let you down? You think God's not going to lead you to the promised land, into his kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace? He gave his son for you. And if he's freely given his son up to death on a cross for you, will he not, will he let you down? Will he let you down now? Will he buy you a car but not give you the keys? Will he give you a piece of cake but not let you eat it too, right? He's freely given his son for you. Won't he freely give you all things? Have you forgotten the wonder and the miracle of of, of being saved, of being forgiven, of being adopted as his child. We were talking about this um, in my office this week with Jeff and the interns, about the, the humility that ought to be, of, and not to get a, we're talking about humility and pride next week, but the, the, the humility of, of, that the gospel produces in us. Like, are you surprised that you're a Christian? Are you surprised that you're a Christian? Like me of all people, that God would save me. Do you ever have the sense of wonder that God's forgiven you? You know, who would have thought of all people? If, you, if, you, if, if that feeling of wonder and amazement that why even me, even I could be forgiven. Even I could be made right with God. Of all people, if, you've, if that, that sense is alien to you, if, you, if you have no idea about what that means, it could be that you're um, rooted in your self-righteousness, that God loves you because you're a good person. Of course I'm a Christian. I've, look at all the cho- good choices I've made, right? 
Look at all the resources that I've used to bring myself to where I am. It's not all that amazing that I would follow Jesus, that Jesus would love me. I mean, I'm a pretty lovable guy, right? And you can get to a situation where you feel like you don't have the necessary resources. If you're basing your life on your choices and your wisdom and the resources you've brought and your goodness and all that you've accomplished and you get to the situation where you feel like you don't have the resources that are necessary, you get scared. But if you know it's all of grace, we love grace. It's all of grace. It's not by works of righteousness that you have done. It's not by the good things that you have done. It's not your good choices. It's not your resources. But it's his grace, his free grace. That in spite of who you are, he's accepted you. In spite of who you are, he's forgiven you. In spite of your rebellion, in spite of the fact that you have declared war on God and fired the first shot, he has made peace with you. If you know it's all grace. Hey, he got me out of Egypt. He'll bring me to the promised land. He'll bring me to Canaan. Why am I afraid of failure? Do I live by my performance? Or do I live by the grace and the perfection of Jesus? Is it his, his success that's my hope? Or is it my own? So I talk, talked a lot about getting under, trying to get underneath our, our fears to, to, to see that it's actually, it's because we're trusting in other things. Our fears reveal those other things that we're trusting in. So how can our, how can our fear be healed? How can our fear be healed? Again, the, the, the main causes are that we're forgetting that God is, is great. We're treating, that God, we're treating God like he's small, that he can't handle it. Or we're forgetting that he's gracious. We're forgetting that he's, he's kind and compassionate and he loves to lavish grace on us. Instead of, it's being all about my performance. Now, our natural way of trying to overcome fear is uh, with our willpower. With our willpower. We're just like, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm going to choose to not be afraid. And we just... Um, there's this great Bob Newhart sketch. I was watching it this morning, and Sherry's like, what are you, you watching stand-up comedy, like, to prepare for a sermon? And I was like, yeah, I kind of am. Um, and there's this great Bob Newhart sketch where he's, he's a counselor in his office, and a, and a woman comes in, and, and uh, I mean, it's, it's really, fun. I'll actually post it to our Cornerstone Facebook page if, if you're into that kind of thing later on today, but um, if you need a good laugh, it's great. But, so this woman comes in, and she says to this counselor, to Bob Newhart, and she says, you know, I have, my problem is, is that I'm afraid of being, that I'll be buried alive in a box. I'm afraid of being buried alive in a box. And Bob Newhart um, says, he's like, all right, this will take about three minutes. I'm just going to give you two words. And I want you to listen to these two words. And I want you to incorporate them into your life. He says, are you ready for it? Okay, Bob Newhart says, stop it! Stop it? Yes, stop it! I can't stop it. No, just stop it. That's how we treat our fear, right? Just stop it. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just stop it. We try to overcome it with our willpower. 
We try to try to muster up the resources in us to just stop being afraid. That's all we got. Right? That's all we got. Unless we have Jesus. That's all we've got. It's, it's the same thing as me saying right now, like, I want, I want you to not think of the word pineapple. All right? Don't think of the word pineapple right now. Don't think of pineapple. What did I ask you not to be afraid of? You all know, right? Pineapples, right? I told you three times, don't be afraid. It just makes you more afraid. <laughs> it just makes you more afraid. We need to get under, just like to understand our fears, we, to, or to understand them well, we need to get underneath our fears to heal them well. Fear is forgetting that you're a sinner saved by grace. Fear is forgetting and belittling the glory of God. That's what fear is. Fear is this forgetfulness that it's all of grace. Fear is this belittling of God's glory and his greatness. That, we're, that in our fears, as we're controlled by fear, we're actually belittling God's glory and his grace, his strength and his power and his mercy and his forgiveness and his compassionate heart, that we actually belittle that by being afraid if we're his children. Repent of that. Get underneath your fears and repent of that. I'm sorry that I, for making this a life raft when actually you are my source of security. You're my source of purpose and meaning. You may remember the story in, in the Gospel of Mark where um, the disciples are with Jesus in a boat in the sea, on the Sea of Galilee and this huge storm whips up, right? And, and Jesus is sleeping. The only times in the gospel Jesus is seen to be sleeping is in the middle of the storms of life. But Jesus is, is sleeping in the back of the boat and the disciples are you know, trying to make their way across through the storm and, and, and they finally come to the end of themselves and they wake up Jesus and say, what's wrong with you? Don't you care? Don't you care about us? We're going to drown here. Don't you care? We're afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. He, first of all, calms the storm. He rebukes the wind and the waves and says, be still. And there is this perfect mega calm. And he says to his disciples, he says, where is your faith? Which is a beautiful question to ask as we're as in the storms of life. And again, the scriptures never promise we'll be free of storms. But as, as he calms the storm and he's with us in the storm, he says, where is your faith? He doesn't say, do you have faith? We all, he's like, you have faith. Everyone has faith. You have faith in something, but where is your faith? What are you putting your faith in? What are you trusting for security and hope and meaning and purpose? Where is your faith? What are you putting your faith in? He says, you know what I'm like. You've been with me. You've seen the miraculous deeds I've done. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me feed 5,000 with a couple of fish burgers. You've seen my miraculous deeds. And you've heard my promises that I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. You know that I care for you. Where is your faith? Get it out. Get your faith out and practice it. Use it. Faith is acting on what you know to be true. Faith is acting on what you know to be true. And so in the midst of the storms of life, bring all that you know about God to bear on the circumstances. Bring all that you know about who God is to bear on the circumstances, not the other way around. 
Don't bring everything about the circumstances to bear on who God is. Don't define God in light of the circumstances. Define your circumstances in the light of who God is. Look at Isaiah 41, verse 10. I got it up on the screen here. Fear not. There's a command. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? For I am with you. Don't be dismayed. Another way of saying, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Two commands, which are basically one command. Five reasons why we shouldn't be afraid. Because I'm with you. I'm by your side. I am your God. I'm above you. I'm your God. I'm beside you. I'm above you. I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you from within. My spirit has come to live in you. He's beside and he's above. He's within. I will help you all around you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand underneath you. I surround you. The reason you don't have to be afraid is because I'm with you. I'm your God. I'm above you and beside you and within you and underneath you. Don't base your lack, don't try to be a, not afraid on your own resources. Remember who I am. Remember what I'm like. And if you'll remember what I'm like, you can be free from fear. Too often we read stories like David and Goliath, right? David's this little shepherd boy and and all of Israel is afraid of this monster giant Goliath, but little shepherd David boy picks up his sling and right and he he's he's brave he's courageous and we read that story and we're like yeah I'm gonna be like David killed his giants and I'm gonna kill my giants too except way too often I'm a chicken what is what does reading that story have to offer offer me if I'm I if when I'm a chicken unless I can see that David I can see a greater David a greater king who came and actually killed the giants for me. And so I can see myself as chicken Israel. And that I have a great king who's come and he's fought the battles for me. And he's defeated the, the, all, all the giants that would defeat me and that would uh, undo me. He's already dealt with them. And so again, we, look, we lift our eyes not to our own resources. We, look, we, we lift our eyes not to who we are, you know, um, later on in Isaiah 41, uh, uh, God says to Israel, or to Jacob, which is Israel, he says, Fear not, O Jacob, you worm. He's like, you're a worm. Don't be afraid, not because of who you are. You're just a worm. God said to Israel in another place, he says, I didn't choose you because you're awesome. I didn't choose you because you're the smartest people or the greatest people. I, in fact, I chose you to made you my people to show how great I am, not, be, not to show how great you are. Our, our, hope and our, resource, our, our hope is not in our own resources. Our hope is not in our own bravery. Our hope is not in our own strength or wisdom or our own resources or our own money or our own fame or our own success. Our hope is in the name of the Lord who has conquered for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you... Seal these things into our hearts that we would have an eye of faith to look away from ourselves and our righteousness and our performance and our resources and and just to look to you. To know that this great king, this creator of heaven and earth is our father.
What a beautiful picture. Thank you, Jesus, that you have accomplished this for us. And we pray that you would just continue to reveal yourself to us. Lord, and if some of us in this room right now are crippled by fear, we know what you're calling us to, but we're afraid to follow you because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid you're not going to come through. We're afraid you're not going to be true to your word. And so, Father, would you anoint us and give us courage based upon who you are, based upon your promises, based upon your steadfast word to us. Would your Holy Spirit be doing this, Father? And as we worship you, continue to worship you, would you meet with us and encourage us? For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.